0: Thank you so much. We have been blessed by your ministry. It is my practice like the Apostle Paul who at the beginning of every letter gives a word of grace. I always give a word of grace at the beginning of my sermon. So let me just share a word of grace with you this morning. Today may God's grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with undying love. And may God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give to all who are here today his grace peace and love with faith. Let's pray. Lord, Your Word is what we hunger for. Your Word is what we need. Pray that as I speak today that we might be drawn to Your Word and to know You whom to know is life eternal. In Jesus' name, Amen. Mr. Killian referred to our stained glass windows, which is interesting because we are in a, doing a series on each one of the panes of the windows. We're doing a mini-series on each one. We've done one on the creation. We've done one on the fall. We are currently in what the last sermon on the Ten Commandments. We will be doing one on the incarnation, Jesus, the light, and the word, the cross and the, and the resurrection, death and resurrection of Jesus, the church, and the second coming and the events leading up to it. So it's going to take us a while to get through that. Having said that, I'm going to admit that I'm really a bit nervous this morning. I'm speaking on the law and Paul talking about the law and its role in the Christian life as an Adventist minister because Adventists are often accused of being legalists because we still keep the Sabbath to a group of made up of partly Adventist and partly Baptists. Do you get my concern? It just so happened a couple weeks ago I found out you were coming and I thought, do I change? No, I don't change my sermon because, well, I don't like to do that and didn't want to just interrupt. But at the same time, I want to share with everyone, both Adventist and Baptist, what I believe Paul is saying about the law and its role in the Christian life. And so I'm not going to apologize for the study which I've done. So if you may not agree with me in every single nuance, can we agree to disagree and look each other in the eye and walk away with love in our hearts for each other? The thought I want to get across today, just so you don't miss it, is this. I'll mention it again at the end. While keeping the law will not save us, through faith Christ does not cast the law aside, but he places it within our hearts and within our lives. Did you, did you get that? While keeping the law will not save us, through faith we receive the gift of the law in our hearts. I said it a little differently, but that's okay. The gift of the law in our hearts, in our lives. Christ does not cast it aside, he places it within us that we might reflect his character of love. Does that make sense? The Apostle Peter, writing in 2 Peter chapter 3, and verse 14, says that Paul, in all his letters, when he speaks on matters about, about how we are saved, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do other scriptures. P- Peter acknowledged Paul's kind of a hard, hard to follow sometimes in his theology. And if Peter had a problem following Paul, it's no coincidence that sometimes we do too. When it comes to Paul and his dealing with the law, especially in the book of Romans, Ephesians, Galatians, you name it. In fact, it's so difficult sometimes for those who believe that the law is important, and it is, that they kind of scratch their heads when they read through Paul and they say, I don't know, let's let's stick to James. Let's stay with something that's a little easier to get to. And we do so to our own detriment. And so there, there are some phrases and just a few verses I want to bring to your attention that when you read them and you read them just by themselves, you walk away thinking, Paul didn't like the law a whole lot. Let me, let me just share a few of them with you. They'll be on the screen. Romans three nineteen to 22 now we know that whatever the law says it speaks to those who are under the law under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God for by the works of the law no human being will be justified in His sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin but now the righteousness of God has been manifested and what's the next word apart from the law now even saying earlier that we are under the law. No one likes to be under something else or someone else. We don't like to be under someone's thumb. We don't like to be under someone's nose. We don't like to be under someone. And so Paul says we're under the law. The law speaks of those who are under it. It says the righteousness of God has been revealed apart from the law. Another passage. I forgot the last part. I apologize. The righteous of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile. The prophets bear witness to the law. Another passage, Romans 6, 13 to 14. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Not under law, but under grace. We almost get the impression that grace and law are kind of opposite of each other. They don't go together, but they do. The chandeliers will stay up there. It's okay. We've seen the move before. Romans 7, verse 6. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we we may serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Released from the law. Romans 10.4 For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. He's the end. And, And then there's Galatians 3, 23 to 25. Just one or two more. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until c- the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian, our schoolmaster, our, our pedagogue, who took the slave who took a child from home to school to make sure he got there and didn't play hooky. The law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. And Paul is saying that guardian is the law. We're no longer under the law. that I might win those outside the law. Anybody here, when reading those, would not admit that it sure sounds like Paul doesn't have a lot of good to say about the law? Let's face it, it sounds that way. It reads that way. He says that's his experience in some ways. And yet we know in other places, Paul says, Stay away from sexual immorality. It's part of the law. Paul says, earn a good living. Don't take from others inappropriately. Paul says, don't be adulterers and adulterers. Paul says, don't covet. I mean, Paul covers the law. How do you put those two together? I think part of the reason we have trouble with those sayings about what Paul is saying is because we we come into a middle of a conversation, we're not sure what it's really talking about. It's happened to every single one of us here, some time or other. Have you ever walked up to somebody who's talking about something and you think you know what they're talking about and you enter into the conversation and suddenly you realize they were talking about something completely different? Isn't that embarrassing? Or or even if you're having a conversation with with your spouse or with someone else and they say something and you think you know what they're talking about and they're talking about something totally different and the reactions that they give when you start responding to them is like, what in the world's going on? I will never forget, my daughter Julie was in in junior high, seventh or eighth grade. And and I can't remember the exact, but she'd received some money and she and, and my wife were going out shopping. And they came home, and I was trying to act interested in, in the shopping they'd done because I hate shopping and even talking about shopping. And they came home, and I looked at her, and I said, Julie, did you get anything? And she had a big grin on her face. She said, yes. I said, what did you get? She said, guess. And I said, I don't know. Did, did you get a blouse? No, guess. Did you get, a, did you get some, some jeans? No, guess! Some shoes? I'm starting to get a little irritated. What's the big deal? It, tell me what you got. I was asking what article of clothing she bought. She was telling what brand she got. She got a guest jacket. Do you remember, for those of you whose kids were in the early 90s, the guest jacket was the rage? I don't know what the rage would be today because I was out of it back then and I'm out of it today when it comes to clothes. We were on different pages. We were talking about different things. And when it comes to Paul and the law, sometimes we're on different pages because we're entering into a conversation we're not sure about. We think we know, but maybe we don't. In his book... Paul, in outline of his theology, Herman Ritterboss makes the following connection that we need to keep in mind when we read Romans and Ephesians and Galatians, all of Paul's letters. He says, For Judaism, the great counterbalance to the threat and power of sin, in other words, the great way to counteract sin, is in the law given to Israel. The law is the unique means to acquire for oneself merit, reward, righteousness before God, and the law is the instrument given by God to subjugate the evil impulse and to lead the good to victory. It can be rightly said, therefore, that for the Jews, the law was the preeminent means of salvation, the substance of life. That's what Paul is arguing against, that the law is a means to salvation, and the law is the means to keep us saved. That's what Paul's argument is. We want to argue about whether we should obey it or not. Do you get the point? I, I want you to notice that, that uh, Paul does not say the law is bad. He says the law is holy, it's just, it's good, it's spiritual. After having said that we're released from it. Now, I mentioned this a few a couple of sermons ago, but you weren't here, many of you weren't here to hear this. In the, the entire Bible, only one person is talked about as holy and just and good, and that is Jesus Christ and God, right? It is. The law is a description of his character. We can't throw that aside. I, I, would, I would like you to, to notice that because the Jews believed that the law was the means of salvation and the substance of life, I, I want you to notice and, and pay attention, that because they believed that, they needed to make sure that they were obeying every single aspect of the law. And so they went about to try and figure out how they could obey it better, more thoroughly, and they developed laws to explain the laws to explain the laws to explain the law. They had 613 or 14 laws about the Sabbath, They were so concerned about breaking the the commandment that thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, they would not say the name Yahweh, they would say Jehovah. They had over 1,000, I think it was 500, over 1,500 explanations for the law to explain how to keep it. And then they had another whole section of loopholes for how to get around keeping the law. I won't ask how many are guilty of doing the same. That's what Paul's arguing up against. That's what he's concerned about. The law is not a means of salvation. But because of these strong statements by the Apostle Paul that, that, that the, we are released from the law, that the law, the law is we are free from it, people have taken basically one of three approaches. I, I, I titled this sermon Paul, Law and Disorder, because many don't understand and are confused by what Paul does with the law. The first thing they do is is that they say Paul teaches that the law is abolished. We've somewhat covered that already, have we not? If the law could be abolished, Jesus didn't have to die. He died because the law says those who disobey deserve death and he took our sin upon himself as the song in Christ alone talked about. We already talked about the fact that Paul mentions the law later on in in, in the end part of almost every single one of his epistles. There are those who try to get around this by saying Paul teaches the ceremonial law is abolished, and and there are places where that seems to be evident, that circumcision is no longer valid, etc., But how do you get around Paul saying that we are released from the law and then he quotes, thou shalt not covet? That doesn't sound very ceremonial-like law to me, does it to you? A third way that people try to deal with this is they say Paul is teaching that the law is referring to justification alone that we're only apart from the law in terms of justification, but in terms of sanctification, we better better focus on it. Let me just remind you of something. In Romans 1, 16 to 17, the theme of, of Romans is given. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. That's the theme. From Romans 1.18 through Romans 11, Paul is talking about this theme he's given. In chapter 1 through 118 through chapter, halfway through chapter 3, Paul is talking about how we are all sinners, both Jew and Gentile, how we're sinners in need of salvation, that we are lost and we deserve death. Because the law condemns us. In chapters four, in chapters three, the middle to chapter four, he talks about how we are saved by Christ and what he did. We are justified by what he did. We are made right. We are reconciled to him. And then from chapter 5 through chapter 8, he discusses how, as Christians, we are to live as Christians. What is it that makes it possible for us to live as Christians? And the interesting thing is this. I hope you can follow this. Chapter 5, Paul says, we are free from the wrath of God. Chapter 6, we are free from from sin. Chapter 7, we are free from the law. Chapter 8, we are free from death. And in the Western world, we want that to be it. We are free from those four things. What's interesting is that while we are free from God's wrath, we still experience separation from God, don't we? While we are free from sin, Paul says we have to strive to stay away from sin. While we are free from the law, the law is holy, just, and good. And while we are free from death, our bodies groan while we're waiting for Jesus to come back. There is a tension between what we already have in Christ and what we must go through while we wait for him to come. If we keep that in mind, we begin to see that Paul is not saying the law is gone. He's saying the law does not save us. Only Jesus Christ can. And what is really interesting is that at the end of each one of those chapters, five, six, seven, and eight, at the end of each one of those chapters, it says we are free from wrath, and the very last verse says, through Christ Jesus our Lord. It says we are free from sin, the very last verse says, through Christ Jesus our Lord. It says we are free from the law because Jesus our Lord redeems us and delivers us from sin and from the law's punishment. It says at the end of Romans 8, nothing can separate us from the love of God demonstrated by Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, what Paul is asking us to focus on is not the law as our Savior, not the law as that which changes and transforms us, but on Christ through his Spirit, who redeems us, who saves us from God's wrath, from Jesus who makes sin something that we don't want to enter into and saves us from sin, from Jesus who saves us from the law that, that condemns us as sinners, and from death one day because death will not have power over us. And so the question becomes, how do I know if I'm living by law or living by faith? I, I, I'd like to ask, have you just asked yourself a couple of questions? And, and now I enter into what is commonly called pastoral meddling. To those who try to say the law doesn't matter, I would like you to ask the question, how often do you say when you break a law of God, after all I'm only human? How often do you say in one way or another when you do something you know to be wrong, well it's better to ask forgiveness of God than permission? how often are you looking for loopholes and to have something that way to get by and the least amount of you can do for God if that's what you're doing you've not received what Jesus offers through faith on the other hand if you're more focused on what must I do than what Jesus has done and is doing perhaps you're under the law If you're more focused on the law of God rather than the Lord of the law, perhaps you're under the law. If you're more concerned about how well I keep the law, then how how well can God keep me through his grace? Perhaps you're under the law. If your view of the law is a list of rules and regulations rather than a principle, of love for God and for others, perhaps you're under the law. Paul fought against those who were under the law vociferously because he knew salvation comes one way and one way only. It comes through Jesus Christ. It comes through Jesus Christ not because he cast the law aside but because he places that law within our hearts so that when we obey, we are but carrying out his character in our lives.